the state-of-the-art school in, in the worst districts of Las Vegas. So I cold called him. Um, you know, I had no connection to him. So I cold called him, got his, uh, his senior business partner, a gentleman who was the former vice president of international Nike, um, um, a gentleman Steve, named Steve Miller. And Steve kind of g- gave me the strong arm, <laughs> but I kept calling him up and finally agreed to meet with me. I pitched Steve and Steve said, okay, Andre's got to listen to you. I ended up pitching several months later, Andre, and Andre said, this is interesting enough. He goes, I totally understand and get, you know, the importance of early literacy and how it is actually the key to unlocking a child's potential, but you you have to prove it to me. So he put our system into his school. He tested it for six months. He liked the results and he agreed to join the cause, both with his brand, his name, his network, and his money. He invested in the company. And that really, really was a turning point for the company. Um, and, and it's, you know, he, he not only gave us all the things that I just mentioned, but he also, you know, is just an incredible source of energy and also strategy. Um, most people are surprised when they hear me say that, but Andre was known as the best problem solver on the court. He won because he outplayed chess. He chess played all the other players. Um, he's a great strategist. So he's my go-to, often he's my go-to person on strategy when we hit you know, various forks in the road and have to make a decision. So that's that's been probably one of, there's been multiple milestones, but that's definitely one of the milestones that has has impacted dramatically the trajectory of Square Panda. Well, that's such a great story, and I'm so happy to hear that, Andy. And it, it just—it's why we do this pad, podcast. Is—is is, um, that is that is a story the world needs to hear. Um, the other story the world needs to hear, Andy, is is how you took this product and this machine that you've built from from Las Vegas to the global stage, and. Notably, you brought it to, to Asia, and I'd love to hear about how you did that. Yeah, so, you know, my previous company, we had an office in Hong Kong, and part of our, you know, incubation efforts was to help people when they had a physical product to actually get it manufactured in, in China and, and, and develop a supply chain. So I had, I have 25 years of doing business in China specifically, so you know, it was an easy, you know, it was an easy, you know, assumption to make that the China market, given my familiarity and knowing the intense importance of English, it is to the business, you know, the business functioning in China, that the Chinese market would be receptive to English language programs. So we entered the Chinese market based on that assumption um, and we have a presence in China. It is a difficult, difficult market because my assumptions were all right, uh, correct about the, the intensity of interest in learning English amongst Chinese parents, but the competition is just insane over there. Um, there are so many companies and so much money go- chasing that marketplace that, uh, you know, we we are still there and we're still penetrating it through partnerships. 
but uh, it's not the easiest path to go. But in developing the China market and having, you know, and also our own market, we simultaneously opened up an office in, in India, in Mumbai, India, which was initially going to be, you know, an adjunct to our software team here in the United States um, because coders are more readily accessible in India than in the United States. Not that we have, we do all of our architecture and our primary you know, design here in the United States, but a lot of the, the, the kind of the heavy lifting of the coding is now done in India. But once we established shop in India, our general manager over there um, started exploring the India market, found a whole green field of opportunity in the primary grade levels. And so we started doing pilots there and building programs. Um, we've been in India since 2018. We just launched last year, 2020, um, and we're skyrocketing in India right now. Um, it is it is a fantastic market, and the need and the pain point there is enormous because what people don't realize in the United States is English is probably the one skill set that is radically economically transformative. If you come from a lower caste system in India that's been assigned to sewage work for generations upon generations. If you learn conversational English, you don't have to even be fluent. You now have access to become a hotel worker. Doesn't sound like much in the United States, but you're suddenly catapulted that person from, and that family from dire poverty to middle-class life. Andy, uh, forgive me for this, but we're running out of time for the show, and I want to make sure that Ian gets a, a last question here uh, before we have to sign off. So let me turn it over to Ian. Your story is remarkable, Andy, and we're definitely going to have to do some follow-up. Ian? Well, I, you know, what I was interested in uh, in terms of that, that path to global is that, you know, you have both a, a digital product and a physical product. Um, and I wanted to hear a little bit about sort of the challenges and opportunities that that presents both from the manufacturing side and from finding platforms like the Apple store or working with, with organizations like Amazon and how you strategize around that, or, or at least what were the difficult questions? Yeah. So God, how much time do I have? <laughs> um, I'll try to give you the cliff notes version of that is having a physical component makes it more challenging um, but the reason in, in, in India and in, in, in India, we are strictly digital distribution. Um, the distribution of physical products is too hard. And there's also, you know, there's also a scalability issue in terms of cost and a cost affordability issue in India that we have to respect. But in the United States, we're, we very much emphasize the physical components because the market respects that. We're in public schools and public school teachers, primary school teachers believe as they should believe in multi-sensory experiences using manipulatives. Learning, learning is, you know, especially the English language is a multi-sensory experience. When I reach skeptics, who question that, you know, I've often heard venture capitalists say that sounds like that sounds like hippie philosophy. <laughs> and I go, no, there's actually neurological science that supports that. But I'll give you a I'll give you a, a an experience you can relate to. How many people, when they give a speech and they have to memorize the speech, 
write it out by hand three or four times, and then they lock it in. And I almost universally get, you know, the majority of people to raise their hand. I go, you just, you just put that memory component in multiple places in your brain because it was a multi-sensory experience. You're not just trying to memorize words in order, but you've associated it with this motor muscle control activity of handwriting. Now that allows the brain to store what you're trying to memorize in multiple areas of the brain and retrieve it faster. That is why multi-sensory is so powerful. So long story short is in the United States, we are, we have physical components. We have both digital books and physical books. We have a physical playset that teaches letter sound components. It is challenging to do that because now you have to build inventory. You have to have you know, warehouses to store that inventory. You have to distribute it. You have to warrant, you pro provide warranties to it. You can't be like just digital sending out, oops, you know, version 1.8 now is, you know, is now superseded by 1.9 because we had a bunch of bugs in it. That doesn't work in the physical world. And so you got to deal with all those issues. And so it is way more challenging, but in the case of public schools, and in the pedagogy that is relevant to the United States, it's a real asset and it's a differentiation for us in the marketplace. In-House Warrior is sponsored by Corporate Counsel Business Journal, the leading resource for corporate legal executives for over 25 years. Go to ccbjournal.com to receive your free issue today and to listen to more episodes of In-House Warrior. Andy, thank you so much for sharing with us and thank you for joining us on the show today. It's just been a great honor and pleasure to have you and we wish you continued great success with the important work that you're doing, making a difference in so many people's lives. Well, well, thank you very much. It's been, it's been a pleasure participating in it and I, I, I look forward to hooking up with you again. Ab absolutely. There's so much more to get to here. This is Richard Levick for In-House Warrior, the daily podcast of the Corporate Council Business Journal. I've been joined by Ian Lipner and Louis Leo of Foley and Lardner, and of course, Ian of Levick, and our guest today, Andy Butler of Square Panda. Thanks so much for joining us, and we'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to the Corporate Council Business Journal's daily podcast, In-House Warrior, with host Richard Levick. If you've enjoyed listening to our show, please rate and subscribe to the In-House Warrior on your favorite podcast platform.